Mean Old Lion Media, where black and brown voices truly matter. Hey guys, this is Russ, and this is the Overlook Podcast. Today we're covering disappearance of Elias Jr. Monroy. Elias Monroy is a Hispanic male missing from Los Angeles, California. He was abducted at two weeks old by an unknown female on February 2nd, 1987. On February 2nd, 1987, Elias was with his mother at the LA USC Medical Center on Marengo Street for a routine checkup visit. Elias was with his mother who was in the waiting room when a younger woman began talking to her. The conversation was friendly enough. The woman was well-groomed and seemed very nice. But as he began to talk, Elias began to cry. He was a newborn. And because he was only two weeks old, his mother was still recovering from a C-section and was in a bit of distress. She needed to go find him baby formula and the woman offered to hold Elias as his mother got up to get his formula. When his mother Maria came back with the formula, Elias and the young woman were both gone. Now his mother, of course, went to the police and reported this incident. She described the woman as being of Hispanic descent, about five foot, maybe five two. She had black hair that was frosted in a light color and was about medium to dark complexion. She appeared to be in her late 20s, maybe early 30s, and again, appeared pretty well-groomed. Once the police launched an investigation, they realized that 70 miles away in Hesperia, California, a somewhat similar failed abduction had happened about two weeks prior to this. So what happened in that situation was, a mother was at the post office with her baby when a Hispanic woman matching the same description that Maria, Elias's mother, gave, came up to her and asked if she could hold her baby. The mother declined. Now, after she got done with her business at the post office, she was walking to the parking lot where the woman appeared again. But this time, the woman was with a male. The woman asked once again, could she hold the baby? And the mother, she declined yet again. Except this time, there was a male there and he attempted to pull the baby out the mother's arms. The mother ran to a nearby store where she and her child were able to escape. But she too reported this incident to the police. Now, the police, when this investigation was going on, they believed that this was possibly the same woman. However, they were never able to confirm it. And unfortunately, that's all the information I could find about the investigation on this case. There's little follow-up in this case and little that I can find in the news now, but it seems like it wasn't a lot in the news back then either. Luckily, thanks to some web sleuthers, I was able to come across two old news clippings from around the time that Elias first disappeared, but they were short and sparse in details. One of the news clipping was only six sentences long, and back then, all they had was a sketch of the suspect. Because remember, Elias was only two weeks old. There was no pictures of him. And even if they did a sketch of him, he was only two weeks old. The sketch would look like what most babies look like at that time. I mean, it would be a pretty basic description. One sleuther was able to provide a news clip from the Times Advocate newspaper from February 4th, 1987. 
And in that small article, Detective Mike Neal said that they had got a few calls from the public in response to this investigation, but honestly, weren't getting a lot of information. Now, in that article, he did mention that they didn't believe enough word was out on this case as of yet, and that might be the reason why. Now, a third news clip from the Sacramento Bee dating back to February 6, 1987. Now, this news clip did get a little bit more information and actually changed some of the information. See, this news article, again, from February 6, 1987, around the time the abduction actually took place, and a few of the details are actually a bit different. For example, Elias's mother's name is different in this article, but it's very clear it's talking about the same case. I mean, it's referring to Elias, it's referring to the hospital the same date that he disappeared, and the mother has the same last name, but her first name is different in this newspaper clip than it was back then, and I know sometimes we have to change our name for protective reasons, so I'm going to just continue using the name that's listed in the articles that's posted now, because one of the main articles I got my information from was from a missingkids.org blog, and this blog was created from the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children, and this is a well-recognized official site. I actually have quotes from an article that they did with the mother and the mother's recent more updated photos, so I think it's appropriate for me to continue using her name as Maria. Now, with that said, not only is the mother's name different, but we also get a little bit of different details from the failed abduction that happened two weeks prior to Elias's abduction in Hesperia, California, from the other mother. Now, from this article, the way they explained it was, yep, a Hispanic young woman did befriend another mom while she was at the post office. However, this article details that the mother was actually in the parking lot of another area. She was not in the post office parking lot when she was approached a second time. She actually was approached in a second location. This article details that that second mother was actually taking her child out the car in a Safeway supermarket. And they said that when the suspect approached this mother, it wasn't on some, hey, can I hold your baby again? In fact, they said that the suspect said to her, I want your baby. She was now demanding. And the other difference that we hear from this article that was dated at the time that the event took place, that is a bit different from what we're hearing from the articles some 20, 30 years later, is that when the woman said no this time, the woman actually tried to take the baby and the mother kicked the woman. That's when the man stepped forward and tried to take the baby. And the mother was like, you can get it too. She kicked him as well. And then she ran off. Now, in this article, we hear that the couple actually fled as well, but this mother gave a little bit of a different description. So the description that we get from Maria Elias's mother was this was a Hispanic female who seemed to be about late 20s, early 30s, and that she was small. She was like maybe five foot, five foot two. But see, the first abduction that happened two weeks prior, 70 miles away in Hesperia, See, that mother described the suspect as a Hispanic woman between the age of 30 and 35, which might not seem like a big difference. We're all not great, I guess, in ages. But the major difference here is that she describes this woman as being about five foot seven and 150 pounds, which is very different from five foot, five foot two. That's a big leap. Now, 
In that case, a composite drawing was able to circulate in the Hesperia area, and it actually resulted in the Hesperia detectives getting several calls and lots of people coming in with tips and information. But it seemed like it ended the same. Police really weren't able to get any new developments from these calls or track down a person or suspects. In this article, the detectives that they talked to said that they were actually looking at these two cases as independent, isolated incidences, which is different than what the articles state today. Today, most of those articles seem to imply that police believe that these incidences were more than likely connected. Now, another thing that is mentioned in this article is that, again, when this abduction happened, there were no ransoms, there were no demands, there was no reaching back out. It did not feel like this was abduction done to gain any type of money, any type of wealth, or anything like that. But again, that's all the information you really can find on this case online. In a missingkids.org blog post that was released on April 13, 2023, they followed up with Elias's mother and she detailed the painful memory of losing her son. She's quoted as saying, it was a very difficult day, which I will never forget. I could not walk well because of my cesarean delivery. She went on to talk about how the woman was well-groomed. She states, she was very well-groomed young woman who took advantage of a time of need. She offered me help knowing I needed it. My son was crying and I didn't go far. In a blink of an eye, she disappeared with him. Now, the National Center of Missing and Exploited Children had a forensic artist create a photo of what Elias might look like today at 36 years old. They utilized photos of his siblings and other family members. Because again, remember, Elias was only two weeks old when he was kidnapped. We have this picture created by a forensic artist, but there's a chance he looks nothing like this. They're really working off a guesstimation, but this age progression image is the first and only known photo of him at all. His mother still hopes to find her son one day. On that same missingkids.org blog, she is quoting as saying, Elias, look for me, communicate with me. I am your mother and you are my dream come true that someone took for me. Many believe that Elias actually is still alive out there in the world. He just has no idea who he really is. Angeline Hartman, who's the Director of Communications at the National Center of Missing and Exploited Children, was quoted in that same blog saying, we work with families in similar situations where babies were kidnapped and found alive as adults. Recently, a woman discovered that she was abducted as a baby and she had no idea her family had been looking for her for 51 years. Now, what I really liked about this blog post is that they get a little more detail and go over the phenomenon of infant abduction, which is a term, by the way, that's used to talk about cases where babies are taken under the age of one. The blog goes on to explain that most non-family infant abductions are actually committed by women, and they're usually alone. A lot of times they're childbearing age, and they're actually abducting the babies for maternal reasons meaning they are taking these kids to raise as their own, to pass it off as if this is their own biological child. In the blog, we find out that the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children, they actually have a list of characteristics that they have developed to kind of narrow down the individuals most likely to abduct the infant. 
Now they've taken this list from analysis of the 337 known non-custodial missing infant cases under the age of six months that were taken from some type of healthcare facility. And these cases range from 1964 through August 2022, specifically in the United States. On the list, these are a few characteristics that stuck out. The women are, again, usually of childbearing age who appear to be pregnant or presenting themselves as pregnant. They are usually compulsive individuals who rely on manipulation, lying, and deception in their regular life. The woman frequently indicates to others that she has lost a baby or she's incapable of having one. And most of the times they are either married or in a relationship. What happens is usually their companion desires a baby or the woman desires to provide her partner with a baby and pass this baby along as his. And that seems to be a big motive for the abduction. Usually the abductor actually lives in the community that the abduction act takes place. And this one kind of surprised me because I would think that's the easiest way to get found. I mean, usually somebody's going to see you and if their memory is good enough and the sketch artist is good enough, when they circulate your render picture or if you're caught on camera and they circulate your picture, it's a higher chance that people are going to be able to pinpoint that that was you. Now, another one is that they frequently visit nurseries and maternity units at more than one facility prior to the abduction. And while they're there, they ask people detailed questions about procedures and information about the maternity floor layout. When they do their abduction, they usually use the fire exit stairwell for their escape. But they do mention that they do not always take the babies from the hospital. They may actually abduct the babies from their home setting as well. Now, usually the abduction is planned out, but they don't necessarily target one particular infant. It seems like they kind of just seize the opportunity as it presents itself. What they found in a lot of those cases is the abductors frequently impersonate a nurse or other healthcare professionals. And this makes sense because it allows the mother or the family to let their guard down. This is staff, we're in the healthcare facility, this is what they do, they have to take the baby. It seems like a normal part of procedures. And in fact, I remember when I gave birth to my child, I allowed my child to go in the nursery right after I gave birth as I was really, really tired. I was actually in grad school when I gave birth to my child and went to my doctor's appointment thinking like, okay, this is going to be quick and then I'll run off to class. And they were like, nope, you're going to the hospital. You're probably getting birth within the next 48 hours. And of course, me being me, being hard-headed about my abilities, went to the hospital, laptop in hand, books in hand, and was just working on schoolwork sending out emails to professors and classmates, asking them to record classes, things like that. I pretty much worked up until the time that I gave birth. So after when I was all said and done and I did my skin to skin contact and they said, mama, you need rest. Do you want us to take them to the nursery? I said, yeah, of course. And I didn't think anything of it. I was so extremely exhausted and tired. But I remember talking to my best friend a couple of days later and telling her about that experience and her saying, girl, you did what? Never take the baby to the nursery. That's how they kidnap babies. 
And at the time, the idea of a baby getting kidnapped did not even cross my mind. But I do want to throw out there that at this time, babies had monitors on their wrists. An alarm would go off to staff. If the baby was removed from the maternal ring of the hospital, the staff would be alerted. If the electronic band was taken away from the baby, her father was there just watching her at the nursery the whole time I was breastfeeding. So it felt very secure. But there was a time that those technologies did not exist. And a person coming to you saying there, nurse, mama, get your rest. It low-key was the perfect cover. And another thing that they stated on this list of characteristics is that the abductors oftentimes became familiar with healthcare staff members and became familiar with how they worked in their routines. They would watch for things like, okay, the nurse checks once an hour. They just checked 15 minutes ago. They won't be back for another 45 minutes. This is my time. They really studied to make sure this abduction could go as planned. Now, as I've stated in a previous episode where I covered another case of infant abduction, we know that now infant abductions are very rare because of those very reasons I said I felt comfortable allowing my child to go to a nursery. The Center for Missing and Exploited Children began collecting data on these abductions in the 1980, and from an article from The Guardian, they report there's been 208 reported abductions from the 80s into 2017. And at least according to this article, so far out of all of those cases, only 11 of those cases are still unanswered. Elias being one of them, and Tavis Sutton, whose case I covered in season one, episode 23. And like I said in Tavis's episode, typically in baby abductions, the babies are found within a few days, maybe a few weeks. Now, in infant adoption cases that are unsolved, there's usually a lot of hope that the child is still alive and just being raised under some sort of alias. And while that isn't exactly the happy hope that we would want, the happy hope that we want is that they would be returned immediately to their family, it's still one that gives a glimpse of hope that one day these children might be reunited with their loved ones. As was the case for Kamaya Mobley, who was kidnapped from a Florida hospital in 1998 and turned up over 18 years later living in South Carolina, just about 200 miles away from where she was kidnapped. Her kidnapper posed as a nurse. And the same can be saying for Carlina White, who was abducted from a Harlem hospital in 1987 by a woman who also posed as a nurse in the hospital and Ms. White appeared after seeing a missing persons photo on a website in 2010 and realizing that baby actually looked a lot like her daughter. But it turned out to actually be her. Luckily, with the advances made in DNA testing, a lot of family secrets have been popping up. Sometimes we find out about granddaddy's other family and other family and other family. And other folks are finding out that mama might have been too friendly with the postman because daddy is not our daddy. We got siblings connected to folks we ain't never heard of before. But people are also hoping that with the popularity of ancestry kids says birthday presents and Christmas presents along all those type of secrets that are popping out, one can hope that one of these missing babies, such as Elias, might take an ancestry DNA kit and realize that he is connected to some people who he never met that he does not know and he goes looking for answers 
and hopefully that will lead to him being reunited with his loved ones. Now with this case, there really isn't much of speculation online. One, because the case is poorly covered online. It did happen in 1987. I do find myself leaning a little bit away from covering cases that far back just because there's so little details of the cases that are not well known. And there's not a lot of clips and so there's not a lot that I can report on. But when I do report on a case from that far back that has such little details, this is what happens. There's often not a theory section. But even if this one was more well covered, I think the biggest theory would hear is that what we've kind of been talked about. That Elias was probably abducted from a woman who wanted to pass the baby off as their own. But that's all the information I have on this case. If you head over to my Instagram at the overlooked underscore podcast, you'll see that I have the age progression image of Elias Monroy. If you think you could be Elias Monroy, or you know someone who you think could be Elias, or maybe you look at the sketch picture of the abductor and think, yeah, that, that definitely seems like I could have been my or my neighbor about 30 years ago. I ask that you reach out to the Los Angeles Police Department at 187-ASK-LAPD or 187-275-5273 or the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children at 1-800-THE-LOST or 1-800-843-5678. Now guys, that is all I have for today's episode. I will have a new episode for you on June 4th, 2023. As always, I ask that you be safe, that you stay vigilant, and you'll hear the sound of my voice again in two weeks. You guys, be safe. Bye. Mean Old Lion Media, where black and brown voices truly matter.